night. And uh, you always have a, uh, uh, this this delusion that's just a it's a it's a it's just part of us. It's as much a part of us as the shell on the turtle is part of it. Hey, did you hear about that turtle the other day? That this uh, surgeon put a plastic shell on. He did. Yeah, I don't know what happened. The turtle caught on fire or something and lost his shell. He did. I'm telling you the truth. It was done with glasses or mirrors or something, and he got on fire. And they had a, they took a shell off, and they put another shell on. It was a plastic shell, a polyethylene shell. It was very nice. <laughs> you imagine this turtle going back to where all the other turtles are. And he shows up with this light blue polyethylene shell. And, uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, of course, you know, the problem of, uh, the problem of dealing with life as it is is oh, it's always going to leave us hanging out. It, really, it's going to leave us hanging out there on a limb. No question about it. Because, uh, you know, we want to deal with it like we deal with silly putty. I think silly putty is closer to life than, than anything else I know of, than marble, for example, because one thing about silly putty, it will assume any shape you want it to assume, but it always goes back to the original one, which is lumpy. Whereas uh, marble has a tendency to stay the way it is, you know, and uh, it, it, it's just not, not like real life. You know, speak of real life, now here, here, here's one from Dallas. Now, we like to think that, that uh, the Texas and the West is where the men are, don't we? I mean, this is where tough, hard guys are. Oh, they shoot from the hip. They do all the stuff here. Here's one from Dallas. Comes from the United Press here. It's Dallas. Dallas. Barber David Schrock. I'm trying to use slight uh, Texas accent here. Barber David Schrock refuses to give businessmen a crew cut to provide relief from summer heat in Dallas unless the customers bring a note of permission from their wives. Well, uh, now, now you see, I suppose it can be argued that the real man does get a note from his wife. That would be the way the wife would uh, determine a real man. A real, oh yes, I, I've seen, I've seen, I've seen this argument used time and again. I saw a little shrimp one day bending over the sink, and the steam was rising. Of course, his wife is out in the living room watching television. He's washing the dishes. And uh, somebody mentioned that. Uh, remember one time at the office, Bob mentioned this is the guy who was the friend of this other guy. I don't want to bring the other guy's name. Oh, it's a terrible story. And he said, so he says, you know, it's terrible the way uh, Chuck has to work like that, wash all the dishes. And this lady looked at him rampantly. She says, any real man does that sort of thing for his wife. Well, <laughs> you know, what kind of an argument are you going to do with that? You know, he's crawling around on his hands and knees and licking her shoes and one thing. And of course, any real man would do that. Uh, here's a, a little note here. I think, you know, when you, when you try to deal with life, you, you just it just fails, really. This is from London, United Press. The Sultan of Zanzibar, who came to Britain to live after his government was overthrown, has failed his driver's test, a member of his staff reported. Oh, jeez. Have you ever... If, if, if it happens, you lose your kingdom and then you don't get your driver's license. It, no, I'm not worried about the Sultan. I am merely pointing out... That that we we there it is there is the alpha and the omega the the <laughs> it all it, it, it's in, inexplicable you don't think of the Sultan of Zanzibar even taking a driver's test do you all right well you better start thinking uh, we've got we've got Chris Chris I think that's uh, part of the slob world there the the uh, uh, again we've got to go back to the slob issue here and I don't like to rehash. I don't like to scrape in old coals and rake up old potato peelings here. I don't want to sit here and fiddle around with old used apple cores. But since last week, we opened that Pandora box, and 
mention briefly a few of the more salient characteristics of the Slavus Americanus. We might as well uh, go a little bit further. You know, the old idea that that uh, that uh, Mencken Mencken used to talk about boobism. Uh, he called it the boobus Americanus, and that was a phrase that Mencken used a great deal. But of course, what he really meant was, uh, in, in the terms of his boobism, was generally people who were against him. Uh, he referred to boobus Americanus, <laughs> which, uh, which, by the way, is also one of the salient aspects of the general slob. He, he likes to he likes to uh, define anything that is contrary to what he believes in as being the work of slobs, fools, and knaves. Uh, this is just a, just an actual. Of course, he would never use the word knave. That's a very hard word for a for a slob to to deal with. But in general, he likes to use four letter expletive words that define the things that he does not like. Like he likes to say, "Oh, it's a nut." It's a favorite word among slobs. Nut. That's always everybody else. It's a nut. Uh, little short, simple words are really the province of the true slob at work, even though he may he may use a large number of good, well-contrived words and excellent vocabulary. When it gets right time to telling what he doesn't like, he'll use the word nut uh, or screwy. That's another one of his words. Way out is a slob term. I have never known anyone who's way out to ever use the term way out. It's a slob term. Way out meaning out of his realm, out of the slob's ordinary rut. Uh, so anything that's way out. And incidentally, I noticed that almost all the things that are called way out by the slobs are generally the most way in things. Uh, I, I was talking to a Broadway producer the other day, and he says to me, he says, well, you know, he says, uh, this is a story about a, a way out girl. You know, she wears blue jeans, goes around with her hair hanging on a pigtail like, and she wears those tennis shoes, a way out, plays a He's describing at least 99% of the girls in our country. It's called way out to him. What he, uh, of course, one of the problems with the slob is he's usually at least 15 or 20 years behind whatever is, now that was way out, that was truly way out, avant-garde, about 1938. And as far as he's concerned, oh, it's way out to go with us, uh, she's got one of these Levi's, Levi's, uh, the overall pants, the tight overall pants, where's the, the plays a banjo or that thing, a guitar, that's a guitar, that's, that's way out. And uh, and you'll find you already oh, you'll find you'll find this of course is very evident in the world of the automobile. Believe me, many slobs believe a guy who's who's got a, a Volkswagen is way out. That's a way out person who's got a Volkswagen there. And of course uh, he doesn't he, he doesn't really recognize the fact that he's knee deep in Volkswagens, so he assumes that there's just a lot of way out people. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of way out. Uh, of course, he defines way out people in his own way as a kind of slob. That's a slob person. And when you really ask him why they shouldn't, oh, he's always usually a little angry about things like Volkswagens. He's a little bugged by this. And you say to him, well, why don't you like Volkswagen? Well, they, uh, they look like a bug. Well, that's enough for him. You see, it's another one of those simple four-letter words or three-letter word, bug. It looks like a bug. And, and I and I one time asked one, well, what's the matter with the way bugs look? You know, they kind of like the look of a bug. After all, the Ford looks like a cheese box. So what do you mean? You're not, uh, what's a bug? I look like bugs. A little thing, I look cars, no bugs. And uh, that's the end of that. They look like a bug. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, of course, this, this, uh, this has uh, many ramifications that uh, if the Ford people in about five years bring out a car that looks like exactly like a Volkswagen, 
he will say, well, it's a streamline. It's a streamline in the front and the back there. It's very streamlined. It's a very small streamline thing. And uh, what what uh, used to be, uh, what in short, what is most uh, most dug, most involved, that is what what he will he will buy invariably. Uh, and and the way out terms, anything that is is outside of his realm. I've had I've had uh, I've had slob types say things like this to me. And and in general, as I say, they're usually a little bit behind times. One of the things uh, I heard just recently. One looked at me and he says, "So well, I says, you know, I says, oh, you know, a lot of those uh, hep beatnik types. They uh, they like all this way out, uh, all this way out jazz. You know, this this Benny Goodman, this noise stuff." <laughs> and so he 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 still thinks Benny Goodman is way out, and it's for the it's jazz and noise. It's uh, all noise. They'll put oh, that's another thing that that they'll put down any kind of sound they don't understand as noise. That's noise, uh, all that noise uh, stuff, and and of course, uh, quite quite often, a slob will like the more popular classical music, providing it's very short. Uh, it has to be extremely short, and part of the slob problem, of course, is a very, very almost a minuscule attention span. He cannot listen to anything that goes on for more than three minutes uh, without it having to do one of two things: it makes his foot tap. That's very important. If music makes your foot tap, that's good music. Uh, or he has to be able to whistle it. He assumes that if he can whistle it, that's also very good. Now, he, it seems to him very important to identify what he calls the melody. Now, it can be a banal, it usually is, a banal, trite, nothing piece of trash, the melody. But as long as he can identify it, then it becomes uh, acceptable. That's good stuff to him. Now, when he works in painting, he's, he's quite a, quite the same way. That if he doesn't recognize what is in the picture immediately, what is it my kid can paint like that? That's a typical slob remark. His kid can paint that way. Uh, slobs are, have a great deal of belief that their kids can do anything that any artist can do, and their kids can play music that way. My kid sitting down the piano can go boom, 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 boom like that. What's this? What's his name? This. Thelonious monk. What is his monk? What is his stuff? And uh, that's the end of that. He uh, he 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 deals with this uh, very very neatly and contrivedly. It's beautifully handled. Now there's there's never any doubt in a slob's mind ever about anything, uh, particularly artistically. Uh, he's never have any doubt. And if he comes out of a movie that he didn't understand anything, he does not quite understand. Is ah, what is this? this uh, no, not it. Nothing. It doesn't mean nothing. Well, that means that Debbie didn't get Tab Hunter at the end, or vice versa, whatever. I don't know how it works anymore with Debbie and Tab, but uh, uh, they didn't get each other at the end. And so they thought, what is this? Who wants to go there? Uh, <laughs> speak of slobs, this is WOR AM and FM New York. And uh, hi, Georgia. There is a, there is a well-founded belief. Many of the slobs, uh, I've noticed, too, have strong, very strong, didactic religious beliefs. This is a part of it. Uh, but only part of it. Uh, and uh, now, generally, the religionists themselves—they're uh, not really religious people. They believe in what they believe in. That—that uh, uh, that, uh, many slobs I know refuse to concede that somebody else has another religion that could be equally valid. This is a, this is an incredible concept to him, and he—he uh, he just assumes that anybody who is in his particular sect 
or his particular belief line is a good person. That's just a good person. I've heard people. I'll never forget one time they brought they brought one of the famous uh, one of the famous gangsters kicking and screaming into a into a, a station in Chicago after having uh, you know slain six, uh, blasted seven in breakout attempt. Uh, he he uh, killed four cops with pineapples, and he'd been uh, he'd been tyrannizing the city for six years. And they brought him dragging, kicking, and screaming in. And a guy came on the radio and said, "But the one thing we've got to understand is that he is really a good Catholic." <laughs> <laughs> Which threw me, you know, that confused me a little bit. And this is not an anti-Catholic remark. I mean, I just happened to hear this one remark. I've I've heard people, I've heard people, uh, a guy get up and and uh, and and, and uh, scream for a lynching. Yeah, I've I've been in in the presence of that happening at one point. Scream for a lynching and uh, have great big firebrands and hold them. In hand. And I'll never forget one guy turning to me and and saying, "Well, he says, you know, uh, you 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 can say what you want about George, but George is a very good Methodist." And he's up there screaming and yelling and uh, calling for blood. And so there you go. You know, uh, a slob always believes that if you're in his sect, somehow you're a good person. Somehow you're a good person. Yeah. If And if you're against the things he's against, he will accept you. Oh, yes. This is another thing, too. If if you're against, let's say, the whoopies, he says, look, I don't care. I don't care. Uh, he's my friend. He's against the whoopies. And that's good enough for him, which means that as long as he believes the way I believe, he's a good person, basically. <laughs> that's one of their one of the one of the favorite words of the song. He's a good person, basically. Oh, speaking of the uh, speaking of the voice of the devil, you have a couple of things in there. There you go, Skip. Welcome aboard, sir. Who is the ale man? Your stateroom is ready, sir. He could be you, a man with a thirst for a manly approved. The captain would like you to dine with him. Three out of four men, every time to the Boulder Keener tasting ale. Can I get you anything, sir? Valentine! You thirst for adventure, for something new. You try a Valentine ale. This one's different. Boulder, keener, more to the point. Suddenly, you're a confirmed Valentine ale man. Welcome aboard, ale man. Who is the ale man? He could be you. A man with a thirst for a manly approved. Three out of four men every time choose the Boulder Keener tasting ale. Valentine. The night of the iguana. An electrical storm spits lightning at the ocean, silhouetting three figures swaying in the sand. Maxine and her beach boys. In the coach above them, the Reverend T. Lawrence Shannon struggles against the ropes that bind him, while Hannah, now unafraid, confesses the bottomless depth of her desire. A door closes and locks, and Charlotte's precocious curiosity about love finally climaxes into passionate reality. This is the night of the iguana. Richard Burton, Ava Gardner, Deborah Carr, Sue Lyon, in Tennessee Williams, The Night of the Iguana, a John Houston Ray Stark production from MGM and Seven Arts. Uh, very serious show there. A showcase presentation starts Wednesday at selected theaters throughout greater New York. Boy, that curls your hair. 
Nobody knows more about life than Tennessee Williams. He's really right there. He's got a firm grasp on it. Well, now uh, we move further out to sea here. Uh, <laughs> I just thought you ought to have that raw. It's the way it is. It's the way it came right off the vine. Uh, <laughs> here, you want to hear some more uh, comments uh, about what the listener says about uh, the slob world? He says, uh, one thing though, about, uh, here, here's one from, he says, Dear Shepherd, I'm one of those greasy kids, 16 years old, who lives in New Jersey. He says, well, I did it. I went back to the wild haven of slobism located in the swamplands of Flushing, the New York World's Fair. The fair offers subjects for the dedicated student and observer of slobism, dynamic and in action and quiescent. After a full day of studying the slob in his natural habitat, I concluded that there are two types of slobs, different yet alike. The first type is the true blue slob. He wears a beach hat with a beer can on top and a shirt which barely fits his well-fed, blubbery, beefy form. He doesn't walk, but he rather moves his bulk, like some sort of large plastic amoeba. He frequents the beer joints, Come on, let's have a beer. I got a big thirst on. Let's all have a beer. <laughs> and he invariably is found in those long lines to the exhibits which show a fairy tale future for the slob. The true blue slob is the first to yell, Come on, let's move this here line. <laughs> Just as he yells continually at traffic jams while driving his truck, or yells at his wife or his kids for having ideas divergent from his, or people who don't believe the same way he does, he does politically. Come on, let's move this hairline, will ya? Oh, by the way, I, I parenthetically will say this about the slob, too. That the weapons he uses against society, he is almost invariably horrified and offended when they're used against him. The slob does not think anything of cutting ahead in any line that he can cut ahead in. But let anybody cut ahead a line in, in front of him. Uh, the, slob, the slob is usually a short-change artist who is deeply wounded when he's short-changed. And it's a one-way operation, I really believe. Oh, another thing I've noticed, too, about a slob, if I may, if I, if I may uh, interject something here, that I think is very important about the slob, is that he confuses the word guilt and responsibility. Uh, this confuses the slob a great deal. If you say to a man, well, don't you have any guilt feelings uh, for the, uh, for let's say, the uh, the miners of West Virginia who are out of work, he will turn to you and say, that's not my fault. What, what have I got to do with that? What fault is it, is it to me that they've done that? It's not. You see, he confuses the word responsible. Obviously, it is not his, he, he's not responsible for them being out of work. But he feels no sense of involvement with them. He feels no sense of uh, responsibility for them, not, none, none whatsoever. Uh, and the slob is always yelling about the steel workers pricing themselves out of the market. He'll say, oh, the steel workers all the time getting a raise. What do you mean? Uh, crying out loud, oh, you think I feel responsible for them? Okay, go put the automation in there. They, got, they raise the price so high, they go they are nothing but striking for dough all the time. It's always some other union that's a sinister union that's wanting too much money. 
It's the other union who wants too many coffee breaks. I heard one of the engineers here the other day coming back from his third coffee break in the hour telling me that the trouble is the reason he's not going to buy a new car this year is because the steel workers have asked for too much dough. And he says, those guys, he's for crying out loud, half of them, he says, they work a 30-hour week. Well, I happen to know this guy. He has been working a 10-hour week for the last 40 years. <laughs> and uh, it's the truth. And if you ever mention it up here, there would be a silence on the 23rd or the 24th floor. You could cut with a butter knife. You know, what, what is this, a nut? That's a nut shepherd again. That's a nut. Well, so the problem is, is it's always a one-way problem, and he confuses guilt with, uh, with responsibility. Now, there's a new kind of glib slob who believes that, that because he is, he is inherently a better person, he's more educated, uh, he has better taste, he has more sensitivity, that any problems that have befallen less fortunate people are not his fault because they're obviously not as good as he is. Now, I'm talking about the dynamic objectivist slob. Uh, this is the kind who, who, who read endless, turgid, uh, uh, great potpourris of hashed-up pseudo-philosophy and believe that by reading this, he has, he has made himself a superior person. And uh, he, uh, he never... Oh, and, and, and there's a new kind of slob that believes that they never grow old either, that, that, the, that the problems <laughs> that are... That are, uh, that are bef- that have befallen other people will never befall this person. And so he's against medical for anybody, medical care for anybody, because he's never been sick. So he doesn't see any use. Why? He says, I, I, these old people, he says, why? It's all. And all other people who are on unemployment are always phonies. They're always phonies. They're lazy. They're bums. They don't work. Because he's never lost his job yet. He's, <laughs> he's never had that problem yet. It's funny how, how, how quickly a slob changes into an anti-slob immediately after his paycheck stops. Oh, boy, you see a large uh, sudden change there, a real quick one, which I have seen from time to time. But the true slob, immediately upon getting a job again, reverts to his old ways almost instantly. He has no memory at all for the past, none whatsoever. His memory doesn't go past last Wednesday. He just cannot cannot conceive of anything happening. And, of course, uh, he, he, has, he has nothing but scorn for people who are old. Old people he usually has scorn for, unless he is an old slob, in which case he has scorn for nothing but youth. Uh, so, so whatever he is is okay, and whatever he isn't is bad. And so I will hear countless old slobs say, Yes, yeah, the kids, the kids, what are you going to do with the kids? They're not, no good. And, and you wonder, was he ever a kid? Well, uh, he has forgotten it, totally. It's a part of that no memory thing. So he switched that off. He was never a kid. He was always a, a 51-year-old angry man with bad, with bad feet. So that's as far as he can ever go. Now, now the young kid slob, the, the young kid slob cannot conceive of himself ever being 58 and out of a job. That, that's the young kid who, is, who, is, uh, who will always be drawn in to certain kinds of extremist philosophies, which teach him that. Uh, which say to him that, yes, it's a young people's movement. Well, you're not always young, kid. And the laws that you put in are going to work against you when you ain't. <laughs> you know? So be careful. Uh, part of the slob is, is he always believes he'll always be what he is. He will always be exactly where he is, which is fat, well-fed, and, and, and you know, he's, he's got the world by everything. <laughs> you know what he's got it by. He's got it by it. And he figures it'll always be this way because he's inherently a better person. That's why he's got it that way. Could never be luck. Could never be the fact that, that his old man left him $100,000. Well, 
which might disappear like the snow in August. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and almost invariably, uh, every good, really good slob I know has been cast into a role, often quite by accident. But he never concedes this. He, he, uh, if his, if his father left him sixteen million dollars, and in five years he raised it to eighteen million dollars, it's because of his fantastic business acumen. And he never mentions, he says, why, before I was 23, I had made $2 million. Well, of course, if he left the $16 million in the bank, he would have made a million and a half on interest alone. You know? <laughs> but, but this is never taken into account. It's, it's, always a, it's always because of a basic superiority of the individual himself. And, and uh, of course, he, uh, this kid goes on to bring out some great points about this. He says, the slob, he says he's always yelling at traffic, always constantly yelling at people all around him. Whenever they cut in his line, he's at the slob is always on the defensive to make sure no one passes him. For the world's sole purpose, he thinks, is to cut him off. But I won't let him, is what he says. How many times have you heard the slob say, listen, Mac, nobody's going to push me around. Of course, the implication that everybody else can get pushed around because they're, you know, but me, no, no, not me. Nobody's going to push me around, boy. Nobody's going to tell me what to think. Of course, uh, it's impossible even to tell them to think. Uh, the, the slob often confuses, uh, that's another uh, problem with the slob. He often confuses completely held beliefs with thinking. He really does. Because I think a guy's out of work and uh, wants to apply for... For Social Security, he's lazy. Well, he hasn't really thought about it at all. But he believes it. And he confuses that with thinking, because thinking is a slippery word in itself. Why doesn't somebody look that up in the dictionary, think? And then look up belief. You'll find that they don't quite coincide. <laughs> they often don't, as a matter of fact. That bothers a lot of people. Uh, here, here's uh, He goes on, he says, For some reason, the true blue slob was out in rare form at the Bell Telephone Pavilion. Of course, I think this is the truth. I think I think that the telephone brings out the extreme of slobism. The slobs love telephones more than they love almost anything else. More, almost more than they love beer. Uh, most yelling, because the, 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 the telephone is an instrument of yelling. Uh, it is an instrument to yell at the world, and, and it's also a shield. Uh, one of the most fascinating things I myself noticed out at the fair was endless collections of telephone booths. Now, they're just like any other phone booths. And who are those people calling? Large numbers of people are calling on the telephone. Now, they're not people calling back home to Cleveland to talk to their family. That's the immediate thing you're thinking. No, a bunch of 16-year-old kids are all on the phone. Whole lines of them, 16, 17 years. Obviously, they've come from Flushing. Who are they calling in Flushing? And they're on the phone there. They're all lined up on the phone. They've come all the way to the World's Fair. <laughs> Here's the Unisphere. The world is spread out, and they're on the phone. What are they doing? Well, of course, that's part of the slob world. It's, uh, it's very important to have that telephone as close to you as you can. And uh, it's usually used mostly for yelling at the world. Uh, not necessarily, it may not sound like yelling, but keeping in touch with the known world. It's, uh, it's very important. And the known world, of course, may be just old Fat Manny back home and make sure that he's still there. You know, he says a lot of little discouraging things. All right, uh, he goes on to say, he says, uh, the true blue slob was out in rare form in the Bell Telephone Pavilion. In one exhibit, the slob saw his own voice, which, of course, is used almost exclusively for ordering beer and yelling, transformed into a pic on an oscilloscope. This enthralled the true blue slob. 
See, this guy's watching this particular slide. Does this enthrall the true blue slob? You know, they have your voice broken up on, a, on an oscilloscope. As the young lady passed the mic around, she asked the people to recite their names into it. Everything went along smoothly. All recited their names and watched it on the screen until the good old slob got his chance. How are you, baby? He yelled in his longshoreman's accent. <laughs> That's the slob there. All right, there he's worked. He's at work. Another exhibit featured an acoustical chamber. As I walked through, I yelled my lungs out. I'm not sure if I did this out of a healthy curiosity or if I thought they were trying to put one over on me. The second reason scared me. <laughs> They're trying to put one on. The slob always believes that everybody's trying to put one over on him. And another thing, the slob, I've noticed so many slobs have a great fear of doctors. Anybody who has actual learning, he's very suspicious of. He he, uh, he 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 just he fear he always claims well you know those doctors what do they know what do those doctors know why my uncle Amel I'll let tell you about Uncle Amel Uncle Amel was never sick in his life one day he got a little pain in his just a little pain in his chest you know, a little pain oh, never sick in his life well what what did men say men just go to see a doctor well he knew better but he went to see the doctor anyway four hours later he's dead never went to a doctor in his life what do you mean the doctors know. So they, 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 they suspect doctors, and many of them believe that doctors cause the diseases. Uh, they really do. That they, they think that if they don't go to the doctor, they won't get cancer. Uh, this, is the, this is that old myth that, you remember that old time they cut him open? They stay, yeah, they cut him open. The minute they cut him open, poor, it just spread like that, he was dead. They let him go back to work, he'd have been all right to this day, I tell you that. Why, I met a guy at work one day, told me that he cured his sister, they took carrot juice. They drank nothing but one week. She's gone. Everything, everything fine. All the spots disappeared. She's still working. Doctors, you can't tell me. Well, they suspect anybody who has any actual education. Uh, by actual education, I mean any actual skill or something which uh, somehow has a magical quality to it. Uh, now they respect guys who have technical skills, like oh, oh listen, I'll, I know a TV repairman. This guy. <laughs> oh, yeah, they have great respect for guys who can fix their car. Fantastic respect for those who can repair their radio. But guys that repair them, they're always a little suspicious of. Now, on the contrary, quite often a slob will, will maintain his belief in a doctor or uh, somebody of that nature far away and above and beyond the call of duty. He believes that his doctor is the only doctor that can cure sciatica. And, and, oh, yes, oh, yeah, this is a, almost, almost a mystical belief. And if they believe, they believe all the way. You see, this is another element of the slab. They believe, they believe completely, thoroughly, utterly, without any question at all that, that his doctor is the greatest doctor that was ever. He just couldn't conceive of a doctor who could do what old Doc Slicker does. He just couldn't conceive of him. Now, again, that's a, that kind of, in a sense, is a belief in magic or magical beings. That, that if you said, well, you know, the, the, the doctor down at the corner went to a better school than Doc Slicker, and, you know, it's a little bit more recently, he, he uh, oh, no, no, I like them old doctors. They know more about it. The old doctors know better. And uh, he really believes that even though old Doc Slicker took his degree by a correspondence course from the Indianapolis School of Internal Medicine and Psychopathics, and he got his degree in eight weeks by mail, doesn't make any difference. He's an old doctor. And uh, that's another one of the uh, parts of the slob, too, is his great distrust of new things. Either he believes in new things 
beyond all, uh, believe me, beyond all, uh, again, it's that problem of belief. He either suspects all new things or he believes in them beyond all uh, suspicion of a doubt. And uh, if, he, if he does not believe in any of the new things, some people, you know, I've heard a really good slob at work, maintain that there is no, not even such things as germs. Oh, yes, I heard, I, oh, yeah, there's no such things as germs. And not only that, oh, this is within the last two weeks on the radio. And, and this one said not only were there no germs, but in addition to that, 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 uh, that the doctors all created this idea of the germs because it makes more business for them. <laughs> so that's, again, the slob's attitude. They're after me. That it's a gigantic plot that they have promulgated to put over a, a specious set of sneaky treatments and that it's all a big money-making scheme. You just let people eat celery, they'll be all right. Why they didn't have this stuff before they discovered germs? Well, you go back 300 years ago, nobody ever died of nobody ever died of tuberculosis 300 years ago. Of course, they never knew about it. People just died, and they just dug a hole and threw them in, and that was the end of it. But uh, there are a lot of people who believe this kind of thing. Now, now don't say for one minute that this is the ignorant I'm talking about. No, most of these people have good educations. I'm discussing. I do not confuse in my discussion here the ignorant with the slob. I'm talking about people who, who are educated and whatnot, who, who, uh, who definitely hold these beliefs. And uh, so you want to hear more about what this kid saw at the fair? Listen to this one. He says, uh, he says, while I heard other slobs going through the acoustical chamber, yelling as they went through, I wondered if this slobism was catching. And I caught it because I was in such a fine breeding place of slobs. Or perhaps we are all slobs. And in one way or another managed to hide it. That, I suspect, is closer to the truth. Now, uh, it may seem to, it may seem, of course, he goes on, he says, the second type of slob conceals his slobism slightly, so that it is a great sport to watch for him. He says, he's really a difficult and interesting one to catch. Although he may have gone to college, the educated slob is still a slob. He simply goes to a beer garden instead of a beer joint, and he tries to show that he is cultured by having Louvenbrauer, Lowenbrow, as he says it, instead of Rheingold. When he is in a line, he yells how these slobs can be so offensive, while he himself, of course, boldly cuts into the front of all line, and the one thing he wants is a press pass to cut in front of everybody. <laughs> he's, this is another kind of a slob. He's very angry when anybody gets ahead of him. Uh, but by George, if he can get a hold of a pass, he's out there right ahead of everybody in the line, and invariably. He says, he may have been to Paris. He makes sure, of course, that all the million people around him hear it loudly. This fair is invariably, while he's standing in line at the Bell Telephone exhibit, is compared to the one in Brussels. And the fair buses are matched to the Metro, which he rode on once. The educated slob, trying to show his lack of slobism, becomes an even bigger slob because it's subtler and more dangerous. This is the new cult of slobs. I salute them. I propose that the fair be maintained as a refuge and meeting place for slobs of all stripe throughout the world. This is a 16-year-old kid. It's a real good letter. And uh, he has pegged, he has pegged uh, part of the slob world. Now, now uh, this, this problem, of course, of the slob hiding his slob is, I guess what, what basically a slob really is, is a man who believes that he is better than other people. Now, I, uh, many, many small communities just outside of New York in the suburban world are filled with these people. Of course, they would not consider themselves slobs. Darien, Westport, Princeton, 
they refer to the rest of the world as slobs. They really do. Uh, the people who don't appreciate a good play. And, of course, they're all sitting there wearing their wash-and-wear suits. And if you ask them ten minutes after the play what the play said, they, they would never, they would not, they have no idea of this. But most of them can tell you who was in it or who wrote it. Now, that's, that's, that's let's say, that is the detail slob. That is the slob who is very much involved in, uh, well, let's say, the mechanics of the theater. He's involved in the theater itself. Uh, certainly not involved in anything to be said in the theater. He's not involved in any attitude or philosophy that the, that the, that the man uh, has to offer. He's interested in who plays the part. And a person who is, a, who is that type of slob who believes that if he believes in the right kind of actor, he is a good theater goer. And so if he likes Anne Bancroft and does not like Doris Day, the assumption being that he has more insight. You see, and more insight. If you say to him, well, you know, who, uh, it's a terrible thing to think about, but Cocteau wrote a Doris Day movie. He wouldn't know what to say uh, if, if Cocteau did. And it is conceivable that Cocteau would have had he been given the chance. I've known a couple of people who knew Cocteau. But, but, the, but the facts of the matter are we, we, like to, we like to, that kind of slob will, will, will drift towards, and, and he, is, he is a great name dropper. He is a name dropper of writers, among other things. Uh, he believes in reputations. And he, this, this is a, a slightly higher type of slob that if the New York Times, he, he's totally, reads, reads, the, reads the Times book review section from, from back to front. Back to front. And uh, whatever that whatever that section has to say is uh, somehow a kind of gospel. It is a kind of absolute, unimmutable gospel. Now he always believes in the right things. He is always uh, almost aggressively liberal, but not too aggressive. Uh, he's he's aggressive in a kind of second-hand, abstract way. He believes in good things, like people shouldn't tar and feather each other in Birmingham. He says, uh, he's he's very angry about southern southern politicians who make speeches, and yet on the other hand, while he is at his political meeting, he would not like to hear, say, for example, uh, oh, let's say Robert Welch could not come and give a speech at his liberal political gathering. <laughs> oh, absolutely not. In fact, one of my friends here the other day it was a funny thing. It was a very very liberal young guy uh, who was who in one of these Darien or Westport groups and so on, and he's a member of the Young Hard-Hitting Political Thinkers Club out there. And he came to Barry Farber and said, Barry, uh, we'd like to have, uh, you know, it's a young, hard-hitting, liberal, fantastically uh, dynamic group. Now, most of us are what we call the young progressive Republicans. He says, we're very we're, we're interested in new ideas, and uh, would you suggest a speaker? Well, Barry thought for a minute, and he said, yeah, well, let's see, who can I get? How about Malcolm X? Well, <laughs> well, there was a brief moment of silence, and he says, well, I'll uh, see the committee. That was the last that ever came out of that one. So uh, most generally, uh, the, 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 the problem of the slob is that he, he often, even though he thinks he listens to other people, he really doesn't. Uh, he, he really finds it very difficult to, to listen to the other side. If he, if, he listens to, uh, if he listens to the world, it's almost always to one side. He will read only, let's say, uh, if he's a liberal, he will read The Reporter. He will read uh, maybe The Village Voice. Uh, he will read The New York Post. 
And that's the extent of it. He, he, he refuses to... Uh, like, like, say, if uh, somebody came to him and says, uh, how about reading uh, the National Review here? He'd, oh, that rag, and he throws it off to one side. He would not even bother to read. He wouldn't even be afraid to read it, I guess. It would just make him mad. He'd have a stroke. Now, on the other hand, very few guys who read the National Review would even get within a 10-foot pole throwing distance of, let's say, the Reporter magazine. And all of them consider themselves very hip, uh, thinking people. They really think hard and long and fast. Uh, oh, yeah. And, and now, <laughs> gee, I wish I had more time because there's, there's more to this. There's the, there's the religious side of Slavism. Uh, there is... Uh, oh, this is all... Now, I shouldn't even use such a word. I hate to use such a word. But, you know, I think one of the, one of the illusions that's beginning to grow in the world, and, and I suppose uh, on both sides of the Slav fence, is that there are more Slavs than ever before. This is one feeling that is evidenced uh, by most, both, both types of Slav, that there are more than ever before. Now, I, I submit that the reason this is so is that there is a growing group of people in the country who do have a, a decent education. Now, the education may be an education in life itself. Now, you can live a 100 years and not have any life education. This is something that has to be pointed out. There are other people, however, who can live 10, 15 years in life and receive... A doctorate. Uh, they can get that philosophy doctorate par excellence. They have noticed, they have observed, they have assimilated, they have reacted to, and have come to some conclusions about life based on what they have seen, not what they believe they wanted to see, or not what they believed that they saw, but literally on what they saw. Uh, and so there's a growing group, and they seem to both sides of the Slav world to be more than ever Slavs. And so I suspect that more and more uh, we, we, will, we will be able to speak to each other less and less. And I'm not saying what group I'm in. I, I'm saying that my, like all true human beings, I'm sure, that if you can have ten feet, you have ten feet, and one is in each camp. Uh, one you kick more, one you hold more, one you know is more there. But nevertheless, uh, no one can di divorce himself or divorce himself from any one. Then, there, then, of course, then there's the true technical slob, who, if a person does not pronounce a word correctly, that other person is a slob. That's, that's a, if they don't put the commas in the right place, that's a, that's a terrible slob. Of course, the man may have come out with gigantic, wonderful, fantastic ideas. Who knows what what kind of speaking voice Christ had. Who knows whether he used good grammar, even for the time. Who knows? But the facts of the matter are that that's another kind of slob who will put down the greatest, most all-encompassing ideas in the world because they weren't punctuated right. Or because the, the, uh, the uh, capitalizing wasn't correct. And so, who knows? And yet, all of us get irritated when that happens, in one way or another. So where does it stop? The only, the only point of real danger is when one group of slobs gather in one little tight knot and proclaim themselves the super people, and they're going to clean up the whole mess. Then get your tin hat out.
BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.